Well, it is great to see all of you, and welcome to Pathway, those who are here live in the room, those who are watching online and in your homes perhaps this weekend, this Thanksgiving weekend. Welcome to you, those in the classic service or on our Moon campus. Glad you're here. Before I get into the message today, I do want to let you know about one very exciting thing that is uh, upon us. That, of course, is the Advent season. And to assist you in navigating your way through the Advent season, at Pathway we have put together, this is, I believe, the third year that we have done this, our own Pathway Advent devotional. This is it right here. This is the booklet. Make Room is the name of our season. It's the name of our sermon series that we're going to be doing through uh, the season and also the theme of our Advent devotions. And there is a devotion in here, one for every day of December. And these are available to you beginning today. And if you're live in one of those services as you make your way out, there will be people at the doors. You can go ahead and pick one of these up. And I encourage you to be using these again, kicking them off on December 1st, which is coming just right around the corner. And uh, we are asking it to just be one to a family, and so that these can go as far as they possibly can, but we do want to make them available. There's also a version that will be online, and if you'd like, on our app, you can get notifications and just have them sent to you every day as a reminder, or they're certainly going to be available on our website, and you can access them there also. And if you'd just rather do it completely electronically, you can leave these behind for somebody else. But they are available in the back of the devotional. There are also some things for the kids kids. Um, each week there is a different activity and you, if you have uh, kids then uh, you can stop at uh, the children's ministry and one of the campuses and they can get you some of the packets, uh, some of the ornament uh, craft that is going to happen during this and there's some special kid oriented devotions there in the back as well. So we've tried to incorporate the whole family for this and we're very excited about it. We hope you are also and again after the service one per family you can pick those up. If you are just watching online you can contact the office and we will try to get something out to you as well. All right, so excited about that. Also excited about the text that we're going to be digging into today. And as I looked at the text, it was very clear to me there are two different sides to it. This is, there's some good news and there's some bad news. Some very good news and some very bad news. And so I thought, well, let's just call it that. Let's just call the sermon good news, bad news. And so that's what I did. Now that did leave me with a little bit of a dilemma because that kind of comes out of some of those jokes that you hear sometimes. And I thought, well, that being the case, my dilemma was, do I, do I start the sermon with some of those good news, bad news jokes to kind of get some cheap laughs, or do I start with something else, something more significant, or just something different? And honestly, I couldn't come to a conclusion on whether I should or not, so I thought I'd leave that to you. So you can vote on how we're going to start the sermon here today, all right? So you get uh, two different options. You can vote for whichever one you would like. How many of you would like to start, would like me to start with a video of a sloth taking a nap? All right, I knew there'd be a couple of you, those of you who live an obviously very exciting life. How many of you would like me to start with a couple of good news, bad news jokes? All right, all right, and uh, how many of you would just prefer I not start? Okay, yeah. well, at least the good news, bad news vote was higher than the don't start at all vote, which, which is good, I guess. And so thank you for that. And because that's how you voted, I'll go ahead and start that way. But I just want to tell you, I'm doing this against my better judgment. And uh, certainly my homiletics professor's better judgment as well. So anyway, here we go. All right, the defense attorney said to the client, the bad news is that your blood test came back and your DNA is an exact match to that found at the crime scene. 
Client said, oh my, that is, that is horrible news to be sure. He said, what's the good news? The good news is that your cholesterol is down to 170. <laughs> A guy said to his friend, thanks for letting me borrow your car, but I've got good news and bad news. He said, well, just give me the good news. He said, your airbags worked perfectly. One more. The doctor said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is if you take one of these pills every day for the rest of your life, your symptoms will disappear forever. He said, wow, that's awesome, but you only gave me three pills. Well, that brings me to the bad news. See, you should have voted for the sloth. Is, is what you should have done, all right? I, I want you to know, though, I did test those before some people at Pathway, and they loved them, just so you know, all right? It, it was the kindergarten class, but, but they loved them. And uh, so anyway, today, good news and bad news is what's on our mind, and it's what's on Daniel's mind also, because as we take a look, as what we come to in the book of Daniel, as we continue on in that series, we are going to see most definitely good news bad news. So I invite you to open up in your Bible, you'll want to have this in your lap, chapter 10 of the book of Daniel. This is where we're going to be today, and uh, we're actually going to conclude the book of Daniel today. There are three chapters left, and the three of them are really one unit. They're one unit. They start with chapter 10, ends in chapter 12, but chapter 11 is really where the content of this idea that's going to be communicated in these last three chapters comes from. That's the content. Chapter 10 provides for us the context for it, kind of prepares us for it, sets us up for what he's about to say in chapter 10, and then chapter 12 is the conclusion to what he just told us about in chapter 11. So it's really one, it's one unified whole, and that's how we're going to take a look at it here today with one another. So right from the outset, we see that the, the news that Daniel gets is in the form of a vision from God, and it definitely takes this bad news, good news sort of idea. And watching the way that Daniel navigates his way through all of these things that he sees, all of these things that come his way, it's fascinating to watch. And it's also instructive for us to watch as well, because there are circumstances that we're going to see today that we certainly would hope we never experience, and some that we definitely will experience, and some that we are experiencing. So as we look at the way that Daniel navigates his way through this, it's going to be instructive for us. There are some things that we can learn for when we find ourselves in some of these same sort of good news, bad news situations, and we most definitely will. So, some steps to navigate good news, bad news. There is an outline for you to to jot down some of these things or put them into your journal. And remember to bring your journal back next week because even though this series is over, there's a new one kicking off and that journal is the same journal. We'll give you a new sticker for a new series and, and off we go, our Make Room series which kicks off next week. So, anyway, here we go. Some steps to navigate good news, bad news. And the first is to serve in the unseen conflict. You're gonna love chapter 10. It might be a little bit on but you're going to be fascinated by what we see here in chapter 10. As it opens, we find Daniel receiving a vision, and we can tell it's some bad news because of the way that Daniel responds. Look at this. Verse 2 says, At that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food. So no trips to the hot dog shop. No meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all, no trips to Bath and Body Works, until the three weeks were over. Now, I can tease about that a little bit, but Daniel is overwhelmed by what he sees here, and it stops his normal life. It's that significant. What is there that could possibly happen in your life that would just stop you in your tracks? 
for a good three weeks. So in Daniel's vision, he's standing along the Tigris River, and he sees an angel in dazzling appearance, and it says that his sight or the sight alone takes his breath away, his strength is gone, he turns pale, and then this angel speaks to him and he passes out. Think of it. He kind of responds like people do these days if the Steelers get a win. That's kind of the same thing. You can kind of put it in our modern day context. And with that, the angel touches him and he gets up, but he's still very much afraid. And with that on his mind, he continues on. And what we see as he does, as we get into some new verses, is that It sort of peels back the curtain so that we get a look at what's going on behind the scenes. And what's going on here is a look into the spirit world. This is fascinating. What's happening in the spirit world. Verse 12, Then he, the messenger, continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. From the first time he prayed, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. This is serious spiritual warfare here. He says from the moment that he started praying for understanding and knowledge, the answer was given in heaven. Here you go. And the messenger is on his way to bring that to Daniel, but while he's on his way, he gets stopped. There's a force that stops him from coming and giving the deliverance of this message to Daniel. And it says that he is the prince of Persia, of the Persian kingdom. The prince of the Persian kingdom isn't just some normal human being. This is an evil force powered by Satan who is standing in the way of God's, of the deliverance of this answer to prayer. This messenger is dispatched, but he's stopped by this evil force. This is a look at what is going on in the heavenlies in this circumstance. It's keeping Daniel's prayer from being delivered. This is pretty eye-opening, isn't it? It's so easy to go about our lives without any real appreciation for what is swirling around us in the spirit realm. But this is significant because it says that there is something happening on a moment-by-moment basis, this battle happening between good and evil, between God and Satan. And we assume that we pray and God gives an answer and then the rest just kind of happens automatically. But this text is telling us it's not that way, that there is more involved than that. It's not that simple. And in Daniel's case, this opposition came against this messenger for a time But it didn't last forever. Verse 13, the angel is speaking here, the deliverance angel. says, Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. This three-week-long battle is ended by Michael, the archangel who comes on the scene, and he says, all right, enough of this battle, enough of this fighting. You're done, evil spirit, and now let's get the message to Daniel because he needs to see this. So that's what's happening, but the question, at least that comes to my mind, is why does Michael come and intervene? What is it that led him to the place to say, all right, now's the time to go and intervene? Well, it could just be that, well, God got fed up with the fact that the message hadn't been delivered yet and said, Michael, go take care of this so that the message continues on. It could have been that, but I think there's more to it than that. I believe that Daniel himself has an influence on 
the solution that is ultimately brought for him in this circumstance, in this intervention. We know that Daniel is a man of prayer. We know that he is a man of fasting. Back in verse 2 of our text, we saw that he's fasting and he's praying that God would respond to his request. In other words, he's engaging in the spiritual battle himself. He is serving toward the end of this spiritual battle being accomplished ultimately in his favor. And he's employing the weapons that were at his disposal to do so. These are the same weapons that are at your disposal and are at mine for the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in as well. And there are two primary ones that are worth pointing out here. One of those is God's Word. Daniel is a guy who knew God's Word. He was in God's Word. He didn't have as much, nowhere near as much as what we have But what he had, he loved, and he knew, and he studied, and he was in, and he read, and he lived it. And that's what sets him up for this place that we find him here. When God's Word fills our lives, it clothes us. It protects us from evil. The Apostle Paul is a guy who knew a lot about spiritual warfare himself. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, here's what he writes, beginning in verse 11. It says, Put on the full armor of God, so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we read God's Word, it's like deploying offensive weapons and defensive weapons into this spiritual battle that is happening around us, that is happening behind the scenes, that we've just had the opportunity to get a glimpse back there for ourselves. Sometimes you'll, you'll know how God's Word has been an influence to help you overcome some circumstance you're in. Sometimes you probably won't even know how your knowledge of the Word of God or your engagement in the Word of God or how it has been filtering over your life, how that is influencing a circumstance that you're in. You might not know that at all. But what we must never do is allow ourselves just through apathy or just through disinterest to not be connected to God's Word to the place where we're not actually offering anything additional out there that would be in our spiritual arsenal to battle with the forces of evil that are around us. And that's what he's so concerned about here, but that's the benefit that is coming to him. You don't want to leave yourself unguarded through apathy or neglect. God's Word, that we would be in it. It's that significant. It's not just that, oh, I'll know a little bit more about God if I actually get in His Word the way that they keep telling me their pathway I should do, that I should make this a regular part of my life. If you're not, you are setting yourself up for failure in the greater spiritual battle that is ultimately happening in your life. God's Word is one step. It's one of the weapons that we have for our arsenal. Another one is prayer. The end of the passage in Ephesians 6 where Paul is telling us how to wage war in the heavenlies, he says this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Ephesians 6, 18, jot that down so you can get back to it. And in 2 Corinthians 10, he adds, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
Of course, Daniel was a man who believed in the power of prayer. We saw him back in chapter 2. These are just the ones that are recorded for us. There are much more than these, I have no doubt. Back in chapter 2, he prays for wisdom so that he might be able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In chapter 6, we saw him pray and refuse to cease praying three times a day, at least, in in view of everybody else. That's what got him into trouble. In chapter 6, he ends up in the lion's den. Chapter 9, last week, we saw his beautiful prayer of confession and intercession. Now here again in chapter 10, we find him on his knees and praying. He knew how high the stakes were and how valuable prayer was in the midst of that battle. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that we're often dulled to the fact that there's a spiritual battle going on around us all the time. But it's happening even right now. There are forces right in our midst that are seeking to distract you from hearing God's Word and listening to God's Word today. Right now. Right here. What are you doing to work to fend off those spirits that would want to distract you and keep you from understanding God's Word? They are here. They just want to keep you from connecting to God and growing deep in your relationship. They don't care that you're here. They don't care that you're at church. Satan doesn't care you're at church as long as he can keep you disconnected in your mind. As long as he can just keep you going through the motions, he's very happy to have you here. In fact, it's better for his purpose that you're here because you think that you are growing forward and you're growing strong in your faith when you're really neglecting God's word and prayer and you're really walking further away from it, thinking you're walking closer, which is just self-delusion, which is ultimately where he would love for you to be. So we must engage ourselves in the spiritual battle through God's word and prayer. I get this sort of mental picture of of the angels working on our behalf in this hand-to-hand combat with evil forces. And and as we get on our knees and as we pray and as as we read God's word, we're essentially giving them weapons with which to use to fight in that battle on our behalf. And when we refuse to do so, we are sort of starving them from the very thing that they need to be victorious. We can participate in our own benefit. We can participate in our own blessing and in this spiritual battle that's going on behind the scenes. If Daniel's to be believed, if what's happening in his life is at all characteristic with what happens in our lives and there's no reason to believe otherwise, we need, as he does, to serve in the unseen conflict. You've got to ask yourself, what does Satan have in mind for your life? What does Satan desire to have happen for you, for your marriage? What has he sent his minions to do in the lives of your children or in the lives of the people that you love? Are you just going to allow Satan to do whatever he will? Are you going to do everything in your power to defeat the influence that otherwise would come into your life, into the lives of those people that you love? Well, you can fight that battle. You can do a work in that regard, but it's done on your knees. It's done in getting into God's Word. Again, it's not just, I'll understand more if I read more. It's that your life will be changed in the lives of those that you love are going to be changed as you engage in that battle. And He gives us the weapons with which to do it. His Word and prayer, it's fully accessible to us every moment of every day. And so if we're experiencing a defeat in our spiritual walk, then we have to ask ourselves, what am I doing to contribute to the victory being won instead? It's time to get on our knees. Are you upset about the things you see happening around you in our community, in our nation, in our world? You've got no right to complain if you're not on your knees praying that God would be doing some special work, that you'd be 
filling the arsenal of those who would be working on behalf of the cause of righteousness. Because Daniel served in the unseen conflict, this messenger is finally able to bring the message, finally able to complete the work that he was given to do from the moment that Daniel prayed, but it's been held up. Could it be that there are answers to prayer that are waiting to get to you because you haven't helped to prepare the way for them? We need to be on our knees. Content of that message that comes to Daniel is chapter 11, where navigating the good news and bad news also means that we see the future through the past. That we see the future through the past. We've seen in the past weeks that God has a whole lot to say through these dreams about future kingdoms that are to come, future nations, future rulers that are going to rise up. And we can be glad that he does because these different things that we have seen in the book of Daniel, these different kingdoms that come, these speak of a period of time that otherwise the Bible is silent about. You know, there's a 400-year period of time. It's called the intertestamental period. 400 years between the time when the Old Testament closes and the New Testament opens where God doesn't give us any new revelation. There's nothing in there. But the one thing we do have is actually what Daniel is talking about. He's telling us something about these kingdoms that are going to come and what's happening throughout this period. And we've taken a look at that over the last several weeks. As we looked at this, Daniel keeps coming back to it again and again and again. He talks about the kingdoms that are going to rise up. Babylon, Medo-Persia talks about the Grecian kingdom, the Roman kingdom, and they're all represented, remember, by the multi-metaled statue with the different metals there that represent different kingdoms. And then we saw it also represented through beasts, and we saw it represented last week through goats and through a ram. And uh, we've saw that it all relates, different pieces of that relate, and the chart helps you to, to see that and understand. Well, what he's going to get into today is basically the same thing. He's going to talk about two of those kingdoms again as he zeroes in on what he has to see, on this dream, on this vision that he is given, specifically the Medo-Persian and the Grecian kingdom. And so what he has to say here is pretty interesting. By the point in time that we've come to here in chapter 11, the Medo-Persian kingdom has come into power and Cyrus is on the throne, but there are more kings that are coming. In verse 2 of chapter 11, the messenger tells Daniel, now then, I tell you the truth, three more kings will arise in Persia and then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. He's talking about the kings that followed Cyrus on the throne of Persia, and in particular, there's one that his attention is drawn to. It's a king by the name of Xerxes. That may be a familiar name to you. He's also known as Ahasuerus. He's the king that is featured so prominently in the book of Esther. That's right. That's the king that we find there. And he's a powerful king, and he's a strong king, and he's not strong enough because as he goes to battle against Greece, he's one of the Medo-Persian kings, as he goes to battle against Greece, he gets defeated. And that's what the text has to tell us about as, as it goes on in verse 3. It says, Then a mighty king will arise, who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. 
Again, we've now moved into the Grecian kingdom, and this first king that it talks about, this great and mighty king, is Alexander the Great. We talked about him last week. So Daniel's kind of repeating some of the same stuff. He was, well, he's, he's just sharing God's vision for him, but God is choosing to repeat again, and we're getting a little bit more of a flavor. So Alexander the Great, last week we talked about the fact that he was very strong and he was very mighty, but he also had this pretty hard life, and uh, so he died young. And none of his family is able to take and control the throne because they keep getting murdered. And so his four, gen- four of his generals actually take up to rule the parts of the kingdom. It says that one is from the north, one from the south, one rules from the east, and one rules from the west. And this vision that's given to Daniel focuses in specifically on two of those armies, the north, the the north Syria is uh, the area that uh, that is from, the Seleucids, and the army to the south, the Ptolemies, or Egypt. These eventually start to battle one another, and so for the next 30 verses here in chapter 11, it gives us some pretty significant detail about the battles that are going on back and forth. Why is this particularly important to Israel and Israel's people? Well, because if you know your ancient geography, Syria is right to the north of Israel, Egypt is right to the south of Israel, and so these battles that go on constantly have Israel right in the middle and right in the mix. And so there's constantly battles and wars and pain and problem and trial that they're experiencing through all of this. This is part of why it's so much on their mind. And history tells us that uh, this detail that discovers, like these 30 verses, about 150 years, that it actually happened and unfolded exactly the way that Daniel prophesies. God's word can be trusted The last of the kings of the north was a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. I hope that name is familiar to you. We talked about him last week also. Very evil king, came against God's people. Number of things that we could say about him. Remember his nickname was Madman. Another of his nicknames was The Butcher. That tells you a little bit about his nature. And, and the reason that he's so famous in Israel and among God's people is because he would come in and he would desecrate the temple. He would do so by setting up Zeus as a false god to be worshipped in the Jerusalem temple. He also offers a pig on the altar, which was an abomination to the Jews. Uh, the Jewish law certainly said that that was an unclean animal. And it was indeed an abomination. That's what the text goes on to say. Verse 31, saw this last week also. He's just repeating himself. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. We saw last week that Antiochus actually foreshadows someone called the Antichrist. This is all circling back around to where we were. Who will one day come and set himself up has another false god to be worshipped there in Jerusalem. And with that, the vision at verse 36 takes a turn. Now, there's a lot of confusion, maybe. There's a lot of debate about who exactly is in view in verse 36 as it gets started. It talks about this king. And we might be inclined to say, well, that's clearly the Antichrist. And perhaps it is. But there are these differences of opinions. Let me just give you the three basic ones that are out there. One is when we turn to verse 36, we've been talking about Antiochus Epiphanes up here. And then when it comes to verse 36, it just keeps talking about him, that he's the king that it's in view here. That's one possibility. Another one is that these are talking about the early days of the Roman kingdom that we know from our chart. It follows immediately on the heels of the Grecian kingdom. 
right? And so some say, well, this is just talking about the early days of the Roman kingdom. Or there is the other point of view, maybe perhaps having a little more going for it, that verse 36 is actually transitioning to look into the future, way down the road, the future, the Antichrist coming on the scene. And interestingly enough, if you go on to verse 40, it talks about the kings of the north and south engaged in battle again. And if this is the Antichrist in view here, we're definitely looking toward the future. And the battle that is being described here concludes in this place called Megiddo, which Revelation chapter 16 tells us, there's some extra credit reading for you, tells us is something called Armageddon which you've probably heard about. So chapter 11 here is generally a very discouraging chapter. It's the bad news. Things are looking horrible for 45 verses until you come to the very last half of the last verse, verse 45, that says this. Look at it. Finally, a taste of good news. It says about this one who wreaks havoc and destroys, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him him. If we want to understand the deliverance and victory that God has planned for his people, we need to recognize that God is at work orchestrating things behind the scenes to work out perfectly according to his plan. We need to recognize that that indeed is the case. We won't always see it ourselves. We won't always understand it, but just because we can't see it and we can't understand it doesn't mean it isn't real. It doesn't mean that it isn't happening. In order to get a handle on it, we need to see the future through the past. As we talked about last week, God has a perfect track record. The things that he said he will do, he will do. The kingdoms that he predicted would come have come. The future events that he says are going to happen, even though they haven't happened yet, we can have absolute confidence are going to happen because everything that he has said in the past that would happen has happened, exactly as he said. We can see the future through the past. And when he says that he is going to carry on to completion the work that he has begun in you and the work that he has begun in me, we can be confident that that indeed will be the case, that he is working all things to an ultimate conclusion, to an ultimate victory that we will participate in. And we can rejoice in that as we read these very ominous things, as we read through the bad news. We know that there is good news as well because God has promised it. And we look forward to that day. And it leads us to one more thing, finally. Here we come to chapter 12 and discover one more key to navigating the good news, bad news, and it's to stay faithful to the end. To stay faithful to the end. The recognition that God is a marvelous plan of deliverance planned for His people should bring encouragement to stay faithful. Chapter 12 now, verse 1, says, At that time, Michael... There's that same Michael, the archangel, the great prince, he's called, who protects your people will arise... Here he comes. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. This distress is talking again. It looks like the tribulation. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found in the book, written in the book, will be delivered. It's a clear reference to the book of life that's spoken of in Revelation, that has contained within it those who have bowed their knee to Jesus, who ultimately will be ones that God is providing for and is protecting and is providing for them a victory and an opportunity to rule and reign with Him for all eternity. Here's some more of that good news to be sure. Evil will not have its way over God's people. They will be victorious. And how is that accomplished? 
Well, it's accomplished through God's provision, through God carrying out his purposes, some of which we don't see, some of which we don't understand, but we know they're going on behind the scenes. That's part of why we're given this glimpse of what's going on that normally we don't get to see so that we would understand it, so that we might be engaged in that part of what God is doing. And ultimately, it happens through the resurrection. God provides before our resurrection, but eventually there will be a resurrection where we we will be raised if Jesus doesn't return before we meet our passing from this earth. We're going to be resurrected. The Bible actually talks about two different resurrections. Let's take a look at this. Verse 2, chapter 12 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible talks about two different types of of, of, uh, resurrection. Two different types. One is a resurrection to life. It's of those who have bowed their knee to Jesus, those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, who have come to experience salvation, who have experienced his forgiveness of our sin. We will be resurrected, given a new body and a new life, as it were, and to live and reign with him forever. That's one resurrection. There's another one, which is a resurrection of judgment. It's a resurrection of spiritual life that they are raised to life, ultimately to be judged by the fact that they refused Jesus. They refused to bow their knee to him, and it's a resurrection of then ultimate spiritual death. That Daniel offers what he has shown regarding, what he was shown regarding when this would take place. Verse 5, Try to hang in there here. I know there's a lot, and some of this gets a little bit confusing, and it's not going to get any better in the next few verses. It says, verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Now notice that. These are the guys, these messengers, these angelic messengers. They're saying, When's this going to (laughs) happen? How's this going to come about? It's like they don't even have that clear understanding for themselves. But this one clothed in linen, it says, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. Remember that from last week? If you were with it, this is a clear picture of the last half of the, revel- uh, last half of the tribulation when this evil one will rise up, when the Antichrist will, will have his way for a period of time until ultimately he is defeated. He says that's when this time is about. When will the resurrection he's been talking about, well, it's going to happen once this time has passed. We can see these things, this ultimate victory that is going to be won. Yes, it'll be very painful for this period of time, but even though it is, God is working out His purposes. Even when you face the, the most difficult circumstances of your life, God is still working out His purposes toward your victory that is ahead. And then, with that, there's a second accounting of this period of time, and here it gets even more confusing. Verse 11, From that time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, There will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. These verses have caused the consternation of many a commentator who've pulled their hair out trying to make all of these days line up. 
to understand, well, why does it say that there? Because if you start to do the math, all right, he said three and a half years, time times and half a time, that's 42 months, times the 30 days of each month, which is what there were in those days, you come up with 1,260 days. Said here in the verse, it's 1,290 days. Well, where'd those extra 30 verse or 30 days come from? And why does he say 1,335 days? That's another 45. Where do those come from? And there have been all sorts of different explanations that have been posited, that have been put out there to try to make all of those things add up. Some people say, well, it's because there is such this, this, uh, this uh, abomination that happens in the temple is so significant, it's going to take a period of days to clean all of that up before this can really ultimately be ushered in. Could it be that? Yeah, I suppose it could be that. That might be one of the leading ideas for why it's taking this extra time or why it just takes some time to establish this, this uh, millennial kingdom that is coming. But ultimately, the bottom line, we don't know. We don't know. This is one of those mysteries that occasionally you come up against that we're just going to have to wait for that day to experience it, and then we'll know when that happens when it unfolds. Then finally we get to the last word spoken to Daniel in this whole book, this vision. Verse 13, where the messenger says to him, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Daniel lived an amazingly faithful life. Even heaven calls him highly esteemed. You want a goal for your life? Live in such a way that heaven will call you highly esteemed. It talks about the fact that he will be established, he will set, be set up, that his future is secure. He will find his rest as a faithful follower, but in the meantime, before that happens, he is told to go your way, verse 11, or 13 says, go your way till the end, or stay faithful to the end. In other words, don't get so caught up in this vision, in these things that I've just shown you, in trying to figure out the number of days. Don't get so caught up in that that you fail to stay faithful to the end. It's this angel's way of saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You've heard that. That's what's going on here, and it's a good word to be sure. Knowing what we do about Daniel, it's highly unlikely that he would have fallen into that trap, but we might. We might. It's easy to get discouraged about the things that you see happening around us in our communities, in our nation, and in our world. It's easy to get to the place, and maybe you've heard yourself say words like these, that, you know what, I, I just wish that we could go back to a simpler time. Do you ever wish you could just rewind maybe 20 years, maybe 40 years to what it used to be, to the way that life was then? Because it seemed so much simpler. It seemed so much better. God's, God's words seemed to be lived out that much more. Of course, if you were living back then, you know that then you were wishing it had been 20 years before that. But we can get to this place where it's like, I just wish it wasn't like it is. I wish it was how it was then. And we think with nostalgia back to that. Or we look forward and we say, you know what? I, I just, I, I can't wait for Jesus to arrive and I can't put up with what's going on now. So I'm just, I'm just going to turn my eyes to heaven and I'm just going to wait and I'm just going to try to ignore this and I'm just going to focus on Jesus. And, I'm just, and this angel would say, no, 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 no. Daniel, I need you to stay faithful to the end 
and through what they tell Daniel, if certainly he needs to, then we need to also. Because if we're spending our time just looking back or our time just looking forward, then we're not spending our time engaged where we are, which is making a difference in the world in which we live. There is a battle that is going on for souls. There is a battle that is going on for hearts, including your own, including those of your family. There is a spiritual warfare that is happening all around us, and we have opportunity to engage with that and make a difference in that, and we must. And to just look on one end or the other, looking forward, just looking back, we're neglecting the work that we've been given to do. We're neglecting our opportunity to influence the culture that is around us, and we have that opportunity, but we need to engage if it's going to happen. We need to get on our knees. We need to pray faithfully. We need to pray that God would use us. We need to pray that this work that is going on behind the scenes, that these forces would be equipped with the ammunition that they need, which comes through our prayers, which comes through our time, in God's Word. Now, on the flip side is the danger of living an earthbound life. We get so caught up in what's going on here that that we sort of live this lukewarm existence. Yes, Yes, we want to be connected to Jesus. We do, but we're not sold out. We're not giving it everything that we have. We don't pay much attention to the fact that there's a war being waged around us and and that there are threats in the spiritual realm and that we have opportunity to engage with that. Could it be that you're not experiencing the spiritual victory that you would desire to have happen in your life because you're not engaged in the spiritual battle? Could it be that we're living a lukewarm existence, kind of wishing it was different, but we're not doing anything to make it different? Because we don't see how just a little praying or maybe a little bit of devotion work in the Scriptures, how how that's really going to change that much. Daniel says it changes everything. And we need to pull back the curtain and we need to recognize what is really going on. That we might participate in it. That we might make a difference in it. Instead of throwing up our hands and saying, there's nothing I can do. (laughs) There's everything that you can do. Because your prayer connects to the greatest power that influences all of that which happens behind the scenes. You're right. You can't change everything, but God can. And you can speak your mind, your heart, your purposes to God Himself. The better way is to stay faithful to the end, to recognize that God is working all things according to His purposes. And we can anticipate and watch for his coming, yes, but we must engage in the work that he has given us to do in the meantime. So my friends, stay faithful to the end. If you've never found motivation enough in the past to be in God's word because it's just like, well, I'll learn a few things, but it's kind of hard to understand or not to get on our knees enough, understand anew the significance of what is taking place and how high the stakes really are and stay faithful to the end. Heavenly Father, thank you that even now as we come before you, as we call on you, that we are influencing circumstances. That as we call on you to do the work that you 
have told us you desire to do to fulfill the work that you have given us to do, that we're participating in the success of that mission. And so, Lord, I just pray that for those of us who have become a bit apathetic, those of us who would desire to be in Jesus for sure, but but we're having difficulty recognizing the urgency behind it. Teach us what there is to learn from Daniel, from Daniel's vision. Remind us every day as we wonder, should I pray today? Remind us of the fact that as Daniel prayed, an answer was dispatched that didn't come to him for three weeks because there was a battle being done. Lord, may we engage and pray and empower and strengthen those who are working on the side of good through our prayers, through our attention to your word, to to see transformation happen in our lives and all around us. Lord, may we be faithful to the end. For we pray toward that end in the name of Jesus. Amen.